When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey everyone, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen our classic episode, Who Killed JFK? It's from November 2013, and it's a doozy. I hope you enjoy. Listen now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And very appropriately for this one, yeah. we have our buddy Matt, who's guest producing because he knows how to do that kind of thing, in addition to his awesome show, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know, which he does with yeah. our other friend, Ben. And uh, it's it covers conspiracy theories, and we are podcasting on Who Killed JFK the day before the anniversary of that fateful day. The 50th anniversary, right? 50th anniversary, mm-hmm. uh, November 22nd, 1963 in Dallas. Yeah. And so you made a joke that Matt was just going to be over there the whole time going, hmm. <sighs> yeah. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, it wasn't the mob. Yeah, three tramps, whatever. <laughs> I like the three tramps one. It's it's ridiculous, but it's my favorite one. Yeah, I've, I've got some good stuff on that. Oh, so do I. Um, in 2003, Josh, an ABC News poll came out 10 years ago. 70% of Americans believe the assassination of John F. Kennedy was part of a broader plot. What percentage? 70% believe that, and uh, thirty only 32% believe that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. Well, So it's the thing, It's it will not die. No, it won't. It never will, I don't think. Well, it's very much entrenched in popular culture as yeah. well, too. Like, even it's become a, a a parody of itself as well. Yeah. You know, just the idea that there's this outstanding question that will never be put to rest. Yeah, like uh, JFK. Lone Gunman and Grassy Knoll, like, all these are yeah. almost like buzz terms now. Yeah, the Lone Gunman, they made an appearance in the X-Files. They were recurring characters. Yeah. Trio of guys. The Misfits had... Probably the best song about the JFK assassination out there. Yeah. Um, Magic Bullet. I bet there's a band called Magic Bullet. Sure. There's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, So let's get into this because I think our colleague, Jonathan Strickland of Tech Stuff, did a really good job of like handling what could have easily been like a 50-page quagmire. And he basically says like, Here's all the facts, and this is why the what's on the surface is probably the likeliest thing to happen. Yeah, that and happened. We should see away a little bit here. There are hundreds of books written about 
various conspiracies, uh, conspiracy theories on the JFK assassination. And we are, we don't have like 18 episodes to dedicate to this. Yeah. So this will be a, a skimming of the topic. Um, I don't want anyone to be like, oh, Josh and Chuck are going to get down to the bottom of this. <laughs> right. Like people, that's some people's life's work, you know, oh, they're yeah. dedicated to this. Yeah. I mean, if we're anything, we're dilettantes. That's right. Every week we go from one subject to the next. <laughs> that is true. So uh, I guess let's begin at the beginning just okay. to get it all out on the table. Okay. All right. Okay. So Chuck. Yes. On November 8th, 1963, um, the Secret Service found the proposed route for the presidential motorcade's Mm -hmm. visit to Dallas. And there was a reason the president was coming to Dallas. It was a very good reason. And um, this is why he was in Texas. Why? He was trying to basically sort of unite the Democratic Party. Um, He was meeting with with his vice president and uh, the governor of Texas, and there was some bickering going on within the party, and he basically wanted to... He's trying to get reelected, is what he was doing. Right. Well, that was a big part of it, but it is true. Governor Connolly um, and Senator Richard Yarborough were publicly feuding. Yeah. Um, and they're both Democrats, so basically their great father was going to come and make peace with them, among them, publicly, tour the state of Texas uh, to help himself get reelected, but also to show Texas, like, hey... The Texas Democrats are all family here. Family yeah. fights sometimes, but we're still all family, and we still have the same grand vision. I know I'm a Catholic from New England, but we're all the same. <laughs> ich bin ein Texan. Uh, so, okay, where are we? They, they find out the route from Love Field to um, Dealey Plaza. They publicized that in the newspapers. Yeah. So everyone knew about it because, you know, people, they wanted people to come out and wave like, yeah, on, like they did. On November 19th, the route was published in the papers. And Approved then, on the 18th, published r- on the 19th, yes. Right. And then on November 22nd, 1963, that fateful day, Air Force One lands at Love Field. The president gets in his presidential limousine, and they start making their way toward Dealey Plaza. Yeah, along with Governor Connolly and his wife, and of course Jackie, and then a couple of Secret Service dudes. That's in the one car. Yeah. In a car behind them is LBJ, Senator Yarborough, and some other Secret Service guys, right? That's right. So they're uh, apparently, uh, as they were headed toward Dealey Plaza, they got delayed because um, Kennedy stopped and uh, kind of soaked up the people waving and cheering and all that and yeah. gave, gave some back to them. A little fist bumping. Yeah. And so they were a little bit delayed um, getting to Dealey Plaza. But when they did... At about 12.30, as they were riding in the presidential motorcade, a shot rang out. And then there was two more shots. At least. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, with the second shot, they think, the president threw his hands up to his neck. Yeah. And Jackie leaned over to kind of like say, hey, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, the back right side of the president's head blew off. Yes. It is very graphic if you see the slowed down enhanced Zapruder film on YouTube today. It's very affecting too. It's really sad. Yeah. It is terribly sad. And this was not even a part of our generation. Like this kind of stuff still makes people like our parents break down sometimes, you know? Right. So that was 1230 within about anywhere between four and eight seconds. At least three shots were fired. One missed, 
probably the second and third one hit the president first in the back of the neck, exited his throat, and the uh, third one blew his head off. Yeah, let's talk about the that magic bullet since we should go ahead and just clear that up. Okay, uh, it hit. Uh, I guess this this was the second bullet that passed through his throat. It went on to hit Governor Connolly in the back. In his armpit, I think. Yeah, below the right armpit, um, exited below the right nipple, um, then hit his wrist that was in his lap, and then continued through the wrist, through his left thigh. And that's why they call it the magic bullet. And if you've seen Oliver Stone's movie, they kind of, you know, make fun of it in court. Like, that is one magic bullet. Mm -hmm. That's where it got the name. Back and to the left. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Back and to the left. Remember the Seinfeld thing? Yeah. With the spit. With uh, Keith Hernandez. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and I remember my brother-in-law, the, the Marine, explaining to me years ago that bullets tumble and can do some really crazy things. Sure. Like he's seen it happen on firing ranges. and and Plus also, this is a very, very powerful bullet. Yeah. It was a 6.5 millimeter bullet, which is basically like a little um, howitzer shell. Yeah. It's huge, and it travels very quickly. Yeah, and um, they have done tests that, uh, even though it seems unlikely, that show that it is possible that a bullet can change directions and do kind of crazy things once it starts hitting bone yeah. and uh, other things. Yeah, so um, that was, like you said, the second bullet, most likely. Yeah. Um, within just a few seconds after the first shot, Kennedy is lying there um, motionless, Jackie's like reaching back across the uh, trunk of the car. Yeah. Trying to get help from a Secret Service agent who I believe jumps into the car. Yeah. Well, actually, they they think that she was picked up part of his brain tissue. Okay. I I heard that before, too. Yeah. I looked into that today. But I was watching the Zapruder film, and it looks it looked to me like she was reaching back like help, but I, I've heard that before as well. Well, apparently, she was quoted um, by, I think, Connolly's wife. And one other person at the time is saying, he's dead. And look, I have I have his brain in my hand. Mm. Um, she, I read the, her testimony for the Warren Commission, and she says she doesn't even remember any of that. I'm sure. But um, yeah, yeah whether or not that's was, true, it's awful. She, and she was trying to hold his head together on the way to the hospital. Yeah. So in the car behind them, uh, a Secret Service agent pounces on LBJ and like throws him onto the seat and lays on top of him. Um, I think his name is Rufus Youngblood, the the CIA or the Secret Service agent. The motorcade just takes off to the hospital, Park Memorial, uh, Parkland, Parkland Memorial. Yeah, and um, again, the the motorcade entered Dealey Plaza at twelve thirty. By one p.m., the president has been pronounced dead. Yeah. at Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas. Yeah, it was just a few miles away. Um, so that was one p.m. That was one p.m. Um, I guess we should talk about the grassy knoll real quick because a lot of people um, have said, you know, a shot have – there were a lot of misleading and conflicting accounts, which is where a lot of the trouble started. Mm-hmm. Eyewitnesses not cooperating stories. Uh, the acoustics at Dealey Plaza were funky because of all the buildings. And yeah, it's three side buildings and then one side like a yeah. grassy knoll basically. Yeah, so like where did the shot come from? I, I thought it came from over here from the sounds. Um it was basically pretty tough to pinpoint. In the grassy knoll, there was a police officer named Clyde Haygood that there are pictures of him, you know, running toward the grassy knoll. And a lot of folks thought, hey, he's running, like, toward a suspect, mm-hmm. uh, when in fact he was running toward another police officer. Right. Uh, to, you know, say, hey, <laughs> what should we do, I guess? So the 
I guess the the way it's been explained away over the years is the the acoustics and the fact that that cop was running toward the grassy knolls made some people think that there was more than one shooter and yeah. another shooter was on the grassy knoll. That's right. The official line is that that is not the case, though. That's right. Um, so 1 p.m., the president's pronounced dead. At 2.38, um, Johnson, uh, Jackie Kennedy, uh, Johnson's staff, pretty much everybody was back on Air Force One. Yeah. And um, they called Bobby Kennedy to ask what to do and to tell him what had happened. And Bobby Kennedy said, you need to swear Johnson in before you guys leave the ground. So they found a judge, brought her on board, and she swore Johnson in yeah. as president. And then they took off and flew back to Washington. Very famous photo. Yeah. Of him being sworn in on board Air Force One. Right, with Jackie's Onassis or Jackie Kennedy's face just like. Yeah. The, the fact that she was able to stand is pretty amazing. But yeah. Apparently they turned her in such a way so that the blood stains weren't apparent in the photograph. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know if it was Air Force One yet. It was. I looked. Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So where are we? Uh, four minutes after the shooting, uh, Dallas police uh, looked at the uh, Texas School Book Depository building and said, hey, that might have been where this came from. It's a pretty prime location for a sniper. And there was an eyewitness named Howard Brennan who saw a figure in the window and gave a description which fit Lee Harvey Oswald. So this, this one dude actually saw him in the window. It's on the sixth floor. Pretty believable that you could see someone from that range. Right. The guy said, I knew it was Oswald all along. <laughs> so the, there was a cop that was in the book depository within two minutes of the shooting. Yeah, Marion Baker was kind of took the initiative to go ahead and get in there. So he went in there and he, he uh, met up with the superintendent of the building, a guy named Truly. And they started um, walking up the steps, and at the second floor, they came upon Lee Harvey Oswald. Who was leaving. He was leaving. Yeah. Truly vouched for Oswald, and Oswald was allowed to leave. And the reason Truly vouched for Oswald is because just a couple of weeks before, about a month before, Oswald had gotten a job at that book depository. So yeah. he checked out as far as Truly was concerned. The uh, officer who was with Truly said, well, okay, and they kept looking. And a few minutes after that... A lieutenant showed up and took over the crime scene, and they started scouring the building. And on the sixth floor, they found the sniper's nest. That's right, with um, three empty cartridges and the gun. Yep. Uh, Telescopic rifle, uh, a telescopic sight, and a bolt-action rifle. And it was pretty much uh, a no-brainer at that point. Right. Or at least on the surface, this is where it came from. Right. So um, after Oswald left his... uh, left the book depository, he went to um, the place where he was renting a room, the house where he was renting a room, and grabbed a pistol. And as he's walking along, and this is about the same time that Kennedy's being pronounced dead, he's walking along the street, he um, encountered a cop named J.D. Tippett. And apparently, Oswald just opened fire on this cop, shot him four times, killed him instantly. Yeah, well, he was investigating Oswald because the the APB had already come through with a description of Oswald. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, this guy fits that description. Uh, Let me talk to him. And it didn't take long, though. I don't think there was much of a discussion before Oswald shot him and killed him. And um, actually, when Oswald was finally apprehended, it was for the murder of the cop. They they didn't know he had anything to do with Kennedy at the time. Oh, yeah? Yeah, at the time. Uh, He ducked into a theater, uh, the Texas Theater, into the movie War is Hell. And I think he snuck in, and that's why they called the cops. 
because they're like, hey, someone snuck in the theater. So if he would have had a bought a ticket, he might not have ever been caught. You never know. You know what's interesting about that? There's all these parallels between the Lincoln assassination and the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, sure. Um, some are untrue. Some are just ridiculous. But one of them was that John Wilkes Booth killed Lincoln in a theater and went and hid out in a warehouse. Yeah. And uh, Lee Harvey Oswald killed Kennedy from a, a warehouse and went and hid out in a theater where he was caught. That's a pretty good one. I like that one. Yeah. Um, so he was apprehended in the theater and reportedly said, uh, well, it's all over now. But he also said something interesting at one point to the media. I'm a patsy. Yeah. Which has fueled speculation over the years that, uh, well, we'll get into the different theories. Before we go any further, get this. The president of the United States of America has just been shot in front of a crowd in Dallas. That's right. That's huge. That's enormous. That's what's going on right now. And there's a manhunt yeah. for this guy who's just been caught for killing a cop. Yeah. So people don't know that the president's killer has just been caught as well. That's right. So this is a, it's a pretty emotional time. Uh, and let's talk about Oswald himself. But first, um, let's do a message break and we'll talk about Oswald when we come back. Agreed. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. All right, so here's a little bit about Lee Harvey Oswald. He was a mixed-up guy. Um, he was sort of an outcast, sort of didn't really fit in. He was born in 1939. Um, his father died two months before he was born, 
which I think, you know, probably has a lot to do with emotional scarring later on. Sure. And maybe being a mixed up kid. Uh, he was in an orphanage for a little while with an older brother and half brother, but his mother was able to get him back out of that orphanage uh, and uh, raise them. By with, age five. Oswald yeah. was five when he got taken out of the orphanage. Which was enough years to also do some damage sure. psychologically. Uh, I think that probably set the theme because I read a little bit about what you know contemporary reports of him growing up concluded yeah. his problem was. And that it was one social worker said that he believes his mother doesn't give a damn about him. Uh, so, uh, and that somebody else said that they've never met a kid more emotionally starved yeah. than this guy. Uh, so I'm quite sure that being left in an orphanage, even being picked back up after a while, yeah, was probably did have a pretty big effect on him, on his development and how he viewed his mother. Well, yeah, and when you look at what he did for the rest of his life, um, it seems like he was always looking for a new family, quote unquote, um, whether it was the Marxist or the communists mm-hmm. or Cuba or Russia. Like, it seems like he never, I mean, it's kind of a psych 101. You know, he was looking to fit in somehow, sure. somewhere with right. somebody. But at the same time, it was always on the fringe of wherever he was at. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, he was never happy with he, where he was. He wanted to fit into whatever was counter to yeah. what he was doing or with the status quo of where he was. Right. So at 16, he drops out of uh, school and tries to join the Marine Corps. Um, he was too young, so they said, come back later. Uh, he wrote the Socialist Party when he was Socialist Party of America when he was 17 mm-hmm. to say, hey, I'm way into Marxism and like, can I come join your club, I guess? At the very least, will you send me a free button? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then at 17, he reapplied to the Marine Corps, and he was old enough at that point. Uh, and turns out he had quite a knack for shooting guns. Uh. <laughs> uh, he's a sharpshooter during boot camp, but then during the actual uh, ranking testing, only rated as a marksman, which is still really good. Yeah. Just below sharpshooter. Is sharpshooter the highest? Or is that yeah. like dead eyes the highest level? <laughs> <laughs> I think sharpshooter's the highest. But at the same time, even while he was a Marine, a Marine marksman, mm-hmm. he... Um, he taught himself Russian. Uh, he studied about the Soviet Union and communism. And this is during the Cold War. This is like during the most paranoid, finger-pointy part of the Cold War. But Oswald's in the Marines, like, teaching himself Russian and everything. See what I mean by a confused guy? Yeah, but even still, like, it's just, it's so strange to me l- learning about his experience that he was relatively left alone while expressing pretty publicly this interest in the Soviet Union and communism yeah, during the peak of the Cold War. It's just, I, I thought if you had, if you even wore the color red, people were like, communists, get them. But apparently yeah. you could just hide in plain sight or admire the Soviet Union in plain sight. Well, he eventually would find himself on a watch list because he went to Russia um, under, um, he obtained a passport falsely with an application to a uh, college in Switzerland and applied, went, got to Moscow, applied for citizenship there, and they were like, Nyet. And so he... He goes, oh, yeah, if you don't let me in, I'm going to kill myself. He basically did. The same day he was rejected by Russia, he slit his wrist. And, and the warm-hearted Soviets were like, well, okay, you can stay, <laughs> young man. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That that's what allowed him to stay. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's just weird. Yeah, it is. So he said, I don't want to be, um, well, he, he did not officially announce his citizenship in America, although he 
uh, expressed he, interest in doing so. Yeah, he kind of mouthed off about it, but never actually did it. That's right. Uh, in Russia, he fell in love with a lady named Marina uh, Prusakova. And you're not going to try her middle name? Uh, Nikolovina. Nice. Nikolovna? Yeah. I think that's right. And um, basically, he was like, you know, we should probably go back to the United States because turns out Russia sucks. <laughs> <laughs> These bread lines, I weren't expecting them to be so long. Yeah, it said he'd become disenchanted. I think that's a nice way of saying that Russia sucked. Right. So he says, hey, I know a place where you're going to love. It's called Texas. Let's move back there. Yeah. Uh, just forget the fact that you don't speak any English. You don't know anybody in Texas. Everybody back in America thinks I'm a weirdo and I'm your husband. Yeah. Uh, just let's go to move to Texas. And she's like, she said, what did you say in Russian? Yeah. He's like, nothing in <laughs> Russian. And so they moved to Texas and uh, she apparently very quickly became just, feel, she felt isolated. She didn't have any friends. And a woman named Ruth Payne um, felt bad for her and took her under her wing. And they became kind of friends. And Ruth Payne will come into play a little later on. Yeah. And this is where he, he was finally sort of... Um, on the radar of the FBI. Yeah, when he moved back. Yeah, you can't move to Russia and then come back and they just, you know, don't even bother talking to you. No, but they did talk to him and they said, okay, well, listen, if if the USSR gets in touch with you and wants you to do espionage, just let us know. Yeah. And he went, sure. Okay. And they're like, all right, well, have a great day. Thanks for the coffee, ma'am. She's like, what did you say in Russian? That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> so on April 10th, 1963, um, another interesting thing happened. Uh, a few days after losing his job, he tried to assassinate Major General Edwin Walker. Who yeah, was, this guy was a piece of work himself. Yeah, he was a hardcore right-wing conservative, possibly gay man. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, later in life in his 70s, he was arrested twice for fondling men in public. I wonder if he was the model for um, the dad in American Beauty. Oh, maybe. I could see that then. Yeah, I mean, he never married, and they I don't think they ever came right out and said he was gay, but he was arrested twice for fondling police officers. Well, Alan Ball, if, if that's the case, email and let us know, okay? Yeah, which is neither here nor there, but it's interesting. No, but he... he was, like you said, extreme, a right-wing extremist in the very definition of the word. He was very um, well-respected, decorated yeah. military leader. Like, he was commanding all of the troops in West Germany at one point. Yeah, when no he friend was, of Kennedy either. No, he hated the Kennedys. He called Harry Truman and Eleanor Roosevelt pink, which means that they were uh, communist right. sympathizers, which is a big deal. Yeah. He was temporarily relieved of his post while he was investigated for that. And he said, you know what? I'm not even going to, I'm not going back because the U.S. has given up its sovereignty to the United Nations and I can't fight for it any longer. And this guy was so convinced by his own convictions that he refused a military pension for years afterward because he didn't want to yeah. have anything to do with it. Well, apparently he refused it, but then kind of quietly tried to get it. Right. Well, and they gave it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and this, he was celebrated as a great soldier later on in life and after his death. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So another example, though, of, of Oswald, this sort of a confused guy, like he tries to assassinate this right-wing conservative general. He also was a, a Marine. He also killed Kennedy. He was just sort of like, it didn't seem like he knew what he believed. Well, he believed that, um, what is the general's name? 
Walker was like Hitler in the making? Yeah, basically. That he yeah. was an extremist who needed to be taken out, but he missed. Yeah, from about 100 feet away, he shot into his dining room from the street uh, where he was sitting at a desk and hit the window pane. And uh, it, you know, made the bullet go a different direction. So he missed. So Lee Harvey Oswald is basically doing anything he can to insinuate himself in international global politics. Yeah, but he got away with it. Like they never, it was a cold case right. until they finally caught him and put the, you know, I think his Kennedy. wife was the one who, who fingered him later on. Oh, really? Yeah, because he comes home and says, hey, you, we're moving to New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, what'd you just say? And so they moved to New Orleans. <laughs> and um, while they're there, she's like, I've had enough. You're shooting at um, public figures now. Yeah. We're moving to, from Texas to New Orleans. I, I'm moving back. And she moved in with her friend Ruth Payne. And Good that move. surely had an effect, an impact on Oswald. There's no way it couldn't because he already had abandonment issues from his mother. Yeah. Now his wife leaves him because he's just... Uh, crazy and he's like well you know what fine i'm going to stay here and i'm going to start a chapter of a pro cuba pro castro sympathizer club and i'm going to be the one and only member but i'm going to be a loudmouth member well i think you wanted more than one member but it was another example of like nobody was interested in this guy nobody russia didn't want him no one joined his club his wife left him Cuba didn't want him. No, he went down to Mexico and visited the Cuban and Russian embassies, trying to basically get in with them, and they were like, nah, it's okay, thanks, man. Yeah, like, nobody was, I think the word Strickland used was no one was ever very impressed with Oswald. They were unimpressed, Soviet and Cuban officials. I mean, if this guy was a patsy, he was the perfect patsy. Oh, yeah. But you can also take all of this evidence and say, well, this is what made him do this yeah if he was a patsy you imagine how easy it would have been for like one of the theories is the mafia for them to put their arm around and be like you're you're a pretty great guy right you know what you should do you should kill the president yeah yeah he uh, he would have been very easy to manipulate i imagine because he's also just 24 at the, when he, yeah, shot he was Kennedy. just a kid which yeah. is crazy um so he uh he left new orleans went back to dallas got a job and about a month later, uh, at the school book depository, uh, shot and killed John F. Kennedy. Yes. So um, Oswald's done his shooting. He's caught. They've started to investigate his background. And Lyndon Johnson ordered a um, an investigation, a full investigation into the Kennedy assassination. What happened? What went As wrong? Lessons learned. All that stuff. And this uh, commission led by um, Chief Justice Earl Warren... Uh, was called the Warren Commission, and the report they compiled, several hundred-page report, is called the Warren Report. And in addition to this several hundred-page report, they also released 26 volumes of transcripts of the hearings yeah. that they conducted. So it was this exhaustive uh, investigation that was very transparent, supposedly. I mean, there's so many documents that to, to try to censor them, really censor them, it'd be virtually impossible. So a lot of people point to the very fact that the Warren report is so voluminous yeah. that it is like, a, in fact, correct. And it's not part of a, a larger cover up at least. Yeah. And I sent you that article. Did you read the one from the New York times uh -huh. that some people think there are still documents the CIA won't release? Well, they won't. Well, but the one uh, anti-conspiracy guy that they interviewed said people that 
don't know how the CIA works that believe this stuff. He went, there would be no documents. Right. Period. Yeah. They wouldn't be hiding things. He went, they wouldn't exist. Operation kill President Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, he's sort of like a little pat on the head. Like, you think there are documents, you sweet little conspiracy theorists? Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, the Warren Commission comes out and uh, immediately conspiracy theorists start to suggest different things. Like... One theory was that it was an outside job by the KGB and or Cuba. Right. We should say the Warren Commission concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald killed President Kennedy on his own volition yeah. by himself um, without uh, acting at, at the behest or at the benefit of anybody else. Yeah, just a lone, singular, crazed gunman. Right. So the conspiracy theories are everybody else saying, no, that's not the case. And so we gave the example of the grassy knoll, the acoustics in Dealey Plaza, the fact that a cop was running toward uh, the grassy knoll right. and conflicting eyewitness accounts. Like from the literal beginning of this event in history, yeah. there have been all sorts of hay that people have been able to make conspiracy theories out of. Sure. Like there's been no shortage of all sorts of different weird things that you can start to piece together with other things and come up with these very interesting, some um, sound conspiracy theories. Oh, sure. But that when you really get down to them, they're not supported by evidence. Exactly. I'm glad you said that. Uh, the KGB or Cuba theory that maybe their governments were acting out and trying to kill Kennedy had some legs because... The Bay of Pigs had just happened. Mm -hmm. They were certainly no friends of Kennedy at the height of the Cold War. There was definitely a motive there, but um, there was no evidence to tie Oswald in any substantive way to either of these uh, countries. No, they looked at his finances over, they went back a year and a half and looked at his finances to see if there were any weird payments or whatever. And apparently the only amount total that they, could they couldn't account for came to like $160. Yeah. Could have been cash and diamonds, though. Yeah, I guess it could have been. That's how they like the deal. Yeah. Uh, one of the other popular theories I mentioned was the mob and that Jack Ruby was working with the mob. And the second Oswald said, I'm a patsy, they're like, we need to go take care of this like right now. Yeah, we haven't mentioned Jack Ruby. Two days after um, Kennedy was killed, um, they were transporting Lee Harvey Oswald and a guy named Jack Ruby, who was a Dallas nightclub owner, came up and shot Lee Harvey Oswald in the chest and killed him. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald actually died in Parkland Memorial, the same hospital that Kennedy had two days before. Yeah, a very famous photo, which has since been made into a very funny photo. Have you seen the band one? No. You never saw that? No. It was big years ago. It was, you know, the photo of Ruby killing Kennedy and someone went in and photoshopped in uh, musical instruments because they're all like have different, you know, pained expressions and like Jack Ruby's at the keys. And I think Lee Harvey Oswald has a guitar and it looks like I, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Check it out. How about another moment here for a message break, Josh? Stuff you should as important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! 
I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano. Huh? Oh. Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. All right, let's get back to it. So we were talking about the mafia. Yeah. Um, because Jack Ruby owned a nightclub, everybody's just like, well, he's down with the mob. Sure. What's more, Lee Harvey Oswald uh, probably was acting on behalf of the mob because he had an uncle in New Orleans who was mafia-connected, mobbed up, as they say. Is that what they say? Yeah. But um, apparently there's no evidence that Oswald and his uncle communicated at all. And the these connections are, are fairly... Uh, tenuous at best yes jack ruby himself said that the reason he did it uh was because he wanted to spare jacqueline and carolyn the uh heartbreak of having to come back to dallas to testify against lee harvey oswald oh really that's what he officially said and apparently there is a transcript of uh, and it is just hearsay but it's um oswald talking with his lawyer yeah saying that um, he's saying like this whole charade we're we're doing that he that he shot Oswald while he was blacked out, and he he can't be held responsible. That it's all just it's just just stupid, and they should go with the truth that you know he did this because he wanted to spare Jackie. Interesting. That's supposedly it. But then apparently also supposedly he said that that was a charade as well. So who knows. Well, uh, another theory is that it was the CIA, and it was an inside job. Uh, Kennedy had criticized their practices and um, was, you know, trying to scale down Vietnam, and those weren't very popular things to do at the time if you were in the government. Yeah. And so a lot of people say, you know what? Lyndon Johnson might have orchestrated this whole thing, and it was an inside job with the CIA. They're like, he barely ever wore pants, for God's sake. <laughs> uh I don't know if this remained true to her death, but both Bobby Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy at one point believed that, quote, he was felled by domestic opponents. Hmm. Um, and, of course, Bobby died not too long after. No, five years. But um, I don't know if Jackie held that opinion uh, her entire life. I'm not sure about that. I'm curious. 
But it um, seems to ring a bell that like she was suspicious of LBJ. Yeah, um, I know since 2000 there have been five legit tenured historians that have published studies, and four of the five concluded that there was probably some larger conspiracy at work, but none of them agreed on what it was. Right. So it's hard to get a consensus. So ultimately, what the what it came down to, the official line was that there were um, there was a rifle that had Oswald's fingerprints on it mm-hmm. that was found at the crime scene. Yeah. That there is a picture in existence that of Oswald holding that exact same rifle. Yeah. Before the crime was committed. Um, he had already tried to kill a general. Yeah, and the fact that he said, "Well, it's all over now." Uh, when he was apprehended, you take all this together, everybody who, a lot of people think it was Oswald. That's the official line, right? Yeah, and the Zapruder film has been used to that, you know, hey, how can you shoot someone from this direction and the head go that direction? Um, there were other films of the incident, but the Zapruder is the most uh, complete. Um, I did look at some of the others. I'd never seen any of those before. It's oh, weird to see it from different angles. Yeah, I'm sure. If you're used to seeing just the Zapruder film. Um, so the uh, Warren Commission did not put this issue to bed at all, uh, even back then. Uh, the There was another commission that took place in 1976, the House Select Committee on Assassinations. And they investigated both JFK and Martin Luther King's assassinations. And this is a group of um, House representatives yeah. who, you know, it's true, are known for being the rabble-rousers of the government, the, that branch of government. Um, but they basically investigated this, carried out a full investigation, and found that, you know what, we actually think that JFK did die as a result of a conspiracy. We don't think it was the mob. We don't think it was the CIA. We don't think it was the FBI. And we don't think it was the Cubans. But we do believe that it was a conspiracy and that um, Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone. This is the House of Representatives saying that. Yeah. Well, they initially said that there were four shots, but they were actually wrong and then later recanted that um, with acoustic evidence and said, you know what, we were wrong on that. And they did never find any, like, hard evidence. But was there – did they remain true to that statement? Yeah, that they was never in their final that? report. Interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, that it was part of a conspiracy. So that definitely didn't quell any uh, rumors. No, and as you know? a matter of fact, it's like, oh, well, the House of Representatives just said that Kennedy was killed as part of a, a conspiracy. Like, if, if it was dying down before, it flared right back up. And there was another one almost at the same time, a Rockefeller Commission yeah. by Vice President uh, Nelson Rockefeller. And a lot of people think that the Rockefeller Commission was basically just like a fact-finding committee that was there to basically cover up and um, derail any other investigations. Oh, really? Yeah, kind of like, we got this, we got this. Right. And, you know, it didn't work, though, because of the House Select Committee. Uh, well, they invalidated uh, one of our favorite little parts of the theory, mm-hmm. uh, the three tramps theory. Um, at the time, there were these three uh, vagrants that were detained by police that had been traveling by boxcar, supposedly. and um, That's how they travel often. That is how they travel and two of the men for a while were believed to have been E. Howard Hunt and Frank Sturgis, who were the dudes who broke into Watergate. Yeah. Which, that would be a nice little coincidence. Yeah, well, there's a whole side-by-side photographic comparison of the two. I mean, it, it looks a lot like them. Well, it does. Um, the FBI got experts to do the same thing, though, that said, 
No, they're, they're, it's not them. All right. Uh, and the third guy... And if you're a conspiracy theorist, you're like, oh, okay, well, thanks, FBI. Yeah. Appreciate that. I believe you. Um, the third guy was rumored to be Woody Harrelson's dad. Yeah. Charles Harrison. He was a hitman, and he... They were estranged, by the way. Woody Harrelson, it's not like... He doesn't talk about this much. It's not one of his favorite topics. Yeah. Sorry, Woody. I know. We got to talk about it. But... um. He, he killed a federal judge, and then when he was caught in a standoff in 1980, uh, high on cocaine, he said, I killed Kennedy, too. And then later on, recanted that and said, I just said that to... Because I was high on cocaine. Yeah, and, and I was trying to elongate my life, and like they, I don't think they would have killed me if, they, if I had information. Oh, like is that, that what it was? That's what he said in, a, in an interview from prison. But conspiracy theorists latched onto this and said, he's the third tramp. He was the youngest one of the three. Yeah, and the pictures kind of look alike. Yeah. You know, it... So all Woody this... Harrelson's dad was <laughs> one of a trio of men who killed JFK. Well, all of this could have been put to bed if the dudes looked nothing like the other guys, but yeah. they all kind of did. Yeah. So another thing to add fuel to the fire for sure. And we should say also there's um, even more, like you were saying, the CIA still, still will not declassify documents that they have about the JFK assassination. That's not helping things. No. Something did come to light, though, from um, investigations into the CIA. They, a guy named uh, George Joannides. Yeah. He um, was a CIA agent who was basically in charge of a group of anti-Cuban student dissidents, uh-huh. right? Or anti-Castro-Cuban student dissidents. And he was running their operation in Miami and New Orleans. Ah. Uh. They actually beat up Lee Harvey Oswald while he was in New Orleans handing out pamphlets that were pro-Cuban and pro-Castro. Yeah. Um, like a few months before the assassination. Huh. So George Joannides ran that operation. And then later on in 1976, when the House Select Committee was investigating it again, he was the liaison for the CIA, but no one told the House Select Committee the involvement he'd had before. Interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, with Woody's dad, he actually had a co-conspirator that said, you know what, he's confessed this before to me and even drew maps about where he was hiding the day it happened. Um, but in 1989, uh, arrest records were released and they identified the three tramps as uh, Gus Abrams, Harold Doyle, and John Gedney. Those all sound like suspicious made up names. names and they uh i think they interviewed a couple of these guys later in life and they were like yeah we were the guys and we were just boxcar dudes even though we had suits on and were clean shaven and uh oh well everybody back then was like no, even if you were like just a, a total complete hobo you still wore a suit and a fedora usually <laughs> uh so again people point to that and say these clearly weren't you know, these guys were paid or, you know, and then a lot of other hinky things happened. People disappeared. Witnesses disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's never going to die, I don't think. I don't no. think anyone will ever let this go. No. But that's that's what makes a great conspiracy theory, right? Yeah. There's just too many facts outstanding that just can't be put to bed. So uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. If you want to learn more about this or if this piqued your interest, you should definitely check out our buddies over at Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. For sure. They have a huge, awesome body of work um, that they've put together over the years and continue to do so. Uh, And uh, you can also read this article on HowStuffWorks.com by typing JFK 
into the search bar and see what comes up. And since I said search bar, it means it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this Chinese Zombies from Sam LaRussa. Uh, hey guys, don't know if you're aware of this, but you have a bit of a cult here in Wuhan, China. Awesome. A whole two people, uh, my girlfriend and I. Still, it's pretty great. Yeah, uh, we listen to you all the time and uh, as you tell us about stuff we should know. Um, we're both English teachers and outside of With Each Other, the Stuff You Should Know podcast is just about the only English speaking we get on a day-to-day basis. Um, I have an incident, though, to write you about. Uh-uh. Where stuff you should know saved my butt, and it just happened yesterday. Oh, nice. Uh, Wuhan schools have a three-hour siesta to avoid the hottest part of the day, and I usually use the time to plan lessons or take a nap. Um, Yesterday, I decided to forego planning lessons and just nap, and woke up a mere 20 minutes before my afternoon 120-minute lesson, completely unprepared. Jeez. I started to panic, but then remembered, do zombies really exist? Stuff you should know podcasts I'd listened to just earlier that day. My students are well aware of the zombie apocalypse theory of the end of the world, but neither I nor they knew anything about the history of zombies. And I had been shockingly irresponsible regarding zombie apocalypse survival strategies. Oh, yeah. So I jumped online, ran off 22 copies of How Zombies Work from HowStuffWorks.com, highlighted some very good vocabulary and some grammar patterns, and had a two-hour lesson ready to go in 20 minutes, all thanks to you guys. So there you have it, how you saved my butt and turned an otherwise really awkward two hours of nothingness into a kick-butt zombie survival lesson. Hopefully your cult following will grow to five, maybe even six people. Would that be something? Uh, And Sam LaRussa, thank you for being lazy and napping on the job and then using our work to uh, do your job. Yeah, but not really though because he could have just been like, oh well, I guess they're just going to sit there quietly for two hours. He like really hustled. That's true. He took initiative. Way to go, Sam. Uh, and thanks to you and your this is wife, right? Her girlfriend. Thanks to girlfriend. Uh, thanks to both of you for holding things down for us in Wuhan. We appreciate that. Uh, if you are located at some remote outpost of the world or in some bustling cosmopolis, whatever, we want to hear from you. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. And as always, you can join us at stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.